Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers and chapter 13, please. Numbers and chapters 13. <clears throat> I'm going to preach this morning on Israel's biggest enemy. Israel's biggest enemy. That's the title of my sermon here today. Um, Numbers chapter 13 and reading from verse 25. And there's a reasonably sized portion of scripture here, so please follow along with me. And it says, And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We come unto the land whither thou sentest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong and dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in, the, in their sight. And so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had in the land of Egypt, or would God that we died in this wilderness. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you, O God. We glorify you, O God. We praise you, O Father. Lord, for all that you've done, O God. Lord, we thank you for your precious word, O God. And we ask you, Lord, to grant us insight, O God. Lord, into your scripture here this morning, O God. We pray, O Father, Lord, that you would just touch us, O God, here, O God. And that your, Lord, Lord, scriptures would be opened up in a new way to us, O God. Lord, that we would preach Christ, O God. Lord, that I would, Lord, that we would be able to see where the Lamb is in the midst of all of these things, O Father. Lord, we ask you, O God. Lord, that you would help us, O God, here today. We ask you, O Father, Lord, that you'd help this preacher to minister your word, O Father. Lord, give us open ears, O God. And Lord, take away our stiff necks and hard hearts, O Father. Lord, I ask you, O Father, Lord, pour in the oil here today, O God. And Lord, I just plead the covering of your blood upon this sermon here today, O Father. O Lord, that we might be like that high priest and take that blood and touch it off our ear here today, O Father. Lord, that what we hear might be sanctified, O God. And Lord, that it might be stored well with in our hearts, O oh God, and bound around our necks, O oh Father. Lord, we glorify you, we praise you, and we exalt you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing on with, uh, with the Israelites and their, their trip through, uh, through um, 
uh, the, the desert and coming into the promised land. Do you know what? If any of you know the theme of the camp, we were looking at patterns of evidence and a lot of it circled around that the trip of the Israelites out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and then on onto the promised land as they did all of their wandering. And as we were sitting there listening to that patterns of evidence, there was a guy and he talked about, you know, how they just faced their biggest enemy. He just said it in one offhand statement. And I thought to myself, he was talking about Pharaoh, but there was a bigger enemy than Pharaoh that they were going to face, far bigger than when they left, because this enemy was far more dangerous and had the ability to nullify all of their work and all of their future work going forward. You see, the Israelites had just come out of one of the most pol powerful political leaders in the world. We heard that when we were at the camp, how this Pharaoh, he had an amazing kingdom, a wonderful army, the, the, an army of such that the kingdoms around would have feared, and that's how he was able to rule. That's how he was able to keep all of these Hebrews there in his midst, millions of them um, uh, under subjection for such a long time because he ruled bitterly and with an iron fist. You see, they were a very important part of the Egyptian economy. So Pharaoh, before they left, threw everything that he had to keep them in Egypt and not even his entire army could stop them from leaving. And yet the enemy this enemy wasn't a patch on the enemy they were about to face in the wilderness. This great enemy that they would face had power to cause them to compromise, kindle God's wrath against them, and defeat them without ever firing an arrow or raising a sword. And this biggest enemy, if you have not figured it out yet, is themselves. It was they themselves were going to be a far worse enemy than Pharaoh could ever have been. They were able to get victory over that Pharaoh. They were not able to get victory over their own hearts and over their own unbelief and over their evil hearts of unbelief that led them all the way through. And then eventually they get to what God has so promised them. And they say, no, we cannot enter in. Saints of God, when you read throughout all the scripture, Israel is a type of the modern day church. We do not believe in replacement theology here in this church. We do not believe that God has done away with Israel as his people and has now ch changed the church to be his people. But actually we have been grafted in. We are the Gentiles that have been grafted into that, into that plant. And so God has not done away with, with all those people of Israel, but someday they're going to be grafted back in. For a time they have gone, they've gone their wayside. They've gone and been scattered as the Bible said they would be. But in the end days, they're going to be grafted in. And we're going to all worship this glorious God together. They have, they've eschewed the, uh, the, the Messiah that God sent them. They have reaped the rewards of that or, the, or uh, you know, they've, they've, they've had to deal with the consequences of that throughout all of history. But God has not let them go. God has not forgive, uh, forgotten about them. But when you look at Israel in the Bible, you can think of them as a type of the church. So who is your biggest enemy here today? It's not the uh, Catholic priest across the road. It's not your uh, mother or father uh, that's unsaved. It's not even uh, preachers or leaders that have come against you in the church. Your biggest enemy is you. And I'm not talking about you like the person sitting next to you. I'm talking about you, I, me. Soph's biggest enemy is Soph. 
Jason's biggest enemy is Jason. Everybody has enemies and it's they themselves because you yourself have the ability to either believe God or not believe God. The Bible says not one of you have resisted sin unto bloodshed. Nobody. I've often heard people say about running away from sin, oh, it's just not possible. Oh, we just need to be realistic. You know, nobody has ever stuck a gun to your head and caused you to have to sin or caused you to not pray or caused you to compromise the word of God. You may have felt like that at times, but you know who's done it? It's the flesh. That old Adam at times takes up weapons against the spirit of, of life within us and causes us to compromise. You know, nobody of external influence has the ability to invalidate God's work in your life than you do. Figured this out very early on in my Christian life. Before I got saved, I used to make all these excuses. It was always everyone else's fault as to why I was the way I was. It was always the blame got pointed at somebody else or, or particularly my parents or maybe my mother, all of these sorts of things. It certainly was not me. Then I get born again. I get washed. I get a new desire and I have to rethink all of these thoughts and rethink all of my excuses because that's what they were. They were absolutely excuses and they were founded on nothing. And so I realized that I was my own worst enemy. And fascinatingly, when I began to look at myself and not at others, when I started to deal with my own heart, all the things and all those other people I wanted dealt with got dealt with. It was like God was just withholding. And you see, God's able to do that. God works in all of these different th situations. The Bible says that king's hearts are in the hands of the Lord. God understands all these hearts. God understands all of these people. It's not up to you to change other people. And if you feel that somebody has come against you in some manner of way, I pray that you go to your knees before you ever go to them. The Bible says, first, cast out that moat that's in, or the beam that's in your eye before you cast out the moat that's in your brother's eye. You see, we're so quick to do that. We're so quick to look at other people and say, you're the problem. You're the, you've taken away my peace. Had some young man tell me before that he was perfect. If only all those other people in his life would shape up and ship out, then he'd be perfect. Well, that shows you that you're not perfect because the Bible says that the man of God is supposed to be patient. The Bible says that the fruit of the spirit is temperance. You know, if there's, if someone introduced to your life causes you to lose your sanctification, then I question how sanctified you were in the first place. Saints of God, what you deal with and how you deal with the, with the stumbling blocks of the world that come up against you reveal everything that's in your heart. How you deal with the promised land when 10 spies come back and say we can't enter in and two spies say we can enter in what you do with that information is not the spies fault it's your fault what you do with the word of God preached here to you today is not my fault it's your fault now I'm going to do my best to package this for you in a way that's understandable I'm going to do my best to make it simple and uh, and 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 uh, and consistent with all the other scriptures I'm going to do my best to make it palatable for you and for your ears but it's up to you what you do with it when you go outside that door are you going to mix the word with faith or are you going to leave it to the fowls of the air to come swoop in that that those little seeds and take them away. It's not my responsibility to make sure that you have faith within your heart. I can preach the word. I can, I can minister the word of God. I can prepare sermons. But saints of God, what we do with that word is up to us. See, we are our own biggest enemies. Or we can be our own biggest, uh, uh, I don't know, what's the opposite of an enemy? Ally. We could be our own biggest ally or our own biggest enemy. It depends on whether are we going to sow to the flesh or are we going to sow to the spirit. 
What do you want to do? Because the flesh lost it against the spirit and the spirit lost it against the flesh. And you might say, oh, that feels like that's what my life is like. But the Bible says, if you're not born again, there is no spirit in you. There is no life in you. There is no war within your members because the war is against the flesh and spirit. When, we, when Adam sinned, in Adam, all of us died and he brought sin into the world. And so... If you're not born again, then you are spiritually dead here today. That's what the Bible says, that you are dead and there is no life in you. So there is no war. You're wholly given over to the flesh. Now, you could say that people who are outside of Christ can live in turmoil. <coughs> Absolutely. But that sanctification before salvation, that's God setting you apart and doing a work because the Bible says none seek after God except God does a work within them. But that's not necessarily a fight of flesh and spirit because there is no fight of flesh and spirit. Once you're born again, he takes away that cold heart of stone and gives you that heart of flesh and then the war begins. Then the war really begins. And that's the war with yourself, not with the giants outside, not with all the reasons you think that you're at war with external stimulus, but the war with yourself. And you see, 12 spies were chosen out of all the tribes, so one for each tribe. God told Moses, send 12 spies into the land to see what it was like, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And when they returned from the land, they said, surely it flowed with milk and honey. You see, this should not come as a surprise because before Moses ever, uh, you know, God ever used Moses to uh, bring down that first plague, God says to him, I am come down. He says in Exodus, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land onto a, a good land and a large land onto a land flowing with milk and honey. God said it. God said it before they ever came to Egypt. God said that this was going to happen. And yet these 12 spies get to the promised land and they say, surely it floweth with milk and honey. You know, there's almost an element of surprise in their voice. I, I went on to Google Earth to see how far away was this land from where they had left. And you're talking at least a 700 kilometer trip. So they walked, they went, they went all the way around the Sinai Desert. They went through the Red Sea. They went over across to where the, Mount, the real Mount Sinai is. They wandered around and then up to the land of Canaan. And then they're waiting and camping for these spies to come out. And they say, surely it's a land that float with milk and honey. If you had never been to a place before and I described to you exactly what it was going to look like, you would think, man, this fella has some insight into where we are. And that's, what it sh that's why God told them what it was going to be so that when they got there, they knew what it looked like. That's how we know the difference between a sheep and a goat. God tells us very distinctly the difference between a sheep and a goat. Why? Because when you're presented with them, that you might know what they look like. Because this is how we determine and we, go, we parse through these things. We have to know who's born again. We have to know who's saved. We have to know who's walking with the Lord. It is important for you that the leadership in this church, that Keith Malcolmson understands where you stand with the Lord spiritually because otherwise you could be deceived and you might deceive others. Saints of God, we have to know. And so that's why God describes this land to him. It wasn't just a promise to say the land that you're going to is going to be far superior to this land, Egypt, where you're stuck in. But he was saying, this is what it's going to look like when you see it. So they go in, they see it. Surely it floweth with milk and honey. 
So you'd think that then they would have enough faith to enter in, right? You assume that when they're outside, that they would be able to stand and say, okay, God described it perfectly. It's a miracle, Brother Jer, that 700 kilometers away in a place we've never seen before, that God was able to tell us exactly what it was going to look like. I'm sure all the land, if you walk around that, that's a desert. All around Egypt, all around uh, southern Israel, it's desert. I would not describe it as a land flowing with milk and honey. Maybe a land with a lot of sand, but not a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet this is what the promised land looked like. And so God described it perfectly. You would think that that would inspire faith in their hearts. But sadly, the fickle heart of man and the fickle heart of the flesh does not want to have faith. The flesh cannot have faith because the flesh warreth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It's the spirit that's in you that has faith. I've met many sinners in the world and they've said, oh, I've got a great faith in God. Oh, and they kissed their holy medals and I have a great faith in God met them all on the streets but you know what if you're not born again there is no faith because there's nothing within you that can have faith you're not a vessel that's meat for the master's use it is the spirit unto God that's made alive unto God that has the faith that's where faith within your heart comes from it is the only it's not in the flesh not in that old man that old man when Saddam sinned lost his ability to have any form of faith whatsoever and so what do these 10 spies say? So they say, surely it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Nevertheless, oh, saints of God, let's be careful with our nevertheless, sister. It's not a hallelujah, unfortunately. The people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and the coasts of Jordan. Everything that the 12 spies said was factually true. So they saw, yes, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Nevertheless, that means but. In spite of what I've just said, you know, yes, it, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Nevertheless, there's giants in there. There's people in there. There's big, scary, walled cities. We heard that at the church camp, that in that area, you know, it was a groupings of different city-states with large walled cities. It was not one big conglomerate or confederation, all different city-states, all big walls. These people knew how to build walls. I can tell you that much. And so the natural man goes in there. These fleshly ten spies walk in there. They look around, they say, it's not possible. We cannot do it. Everything that these 10 spies said was factually accurate. So they weren't going in telling lies. They weren't coming back. But saying to God, what you do with those facts is up to you. Everything they said was factually accurate. So they weren't coming out and spouting off erroneous things. They weren't coming in and spouting off assumptions. They were, they were stating true facts. But then what, what, does faith overcome those facts or is it, is it your feelings that you go with? If you do not arm yourself with the word of God and cling to his promises, then you will, not be, able, then you will be able to, lead, to be led astray. These 10 spies came and they were able to say, we are not able to go in. And they were able to use that information to, um, to lead astray all of these Hebrews. I believe that the 10 spies are representative of poor leadership in the church. 
They themselves have seen the real. They have experienced the promise. They even have the fruit to show for it. Bible says, surely it's a land flow with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. They came back, they said, this is the fruit. You look at these guys and say, they preach a good message. They're, they went in, they've got great courage, great bravery. They went into that land. They had a look at it. They, they skulked among the giants. They even took back the giants' uh, uh, fruits and came back to show for it. But when asked to lead others in and put their money where their mouth is, they fall at the first hurdle. Saying to God, you have to be protected against people like this. You have to be able to arm yourself against false uh, leaders like this. And I don't mean false, I'm sure they were well-intentioned. But you know what? The pathway to hell is well-intentioned. It's full of good and well-intentions all the way down. These men, they came back with the fruit. They had wonderful testimonies. Have we not seen it before? Men, people purporting to be men of God. They can even show you the fruit from it. You know, I've heard some fantastic, amazing testimonies of men that I know are not walking in light of Scripture, and yet it seems that God provides for them. It seems that God does these, you cannot discount that what happens to them. Their experience in the Christian life is miraculous. But you know what? The Bible says that this cloud covered all of them, and this pillar of fire led all of these Hebrews, whether they were murmuring or whether they didn't. And these men, they can walk in there, they can say, yes, it flows of milk and honey. Oh, praise God, we believe your promises. Oh, praise God, we know that it flows with milk and honey. But nevertheless, oh, saints, ultimately that leads to them not believing God. People might say, oh, I'm a great man of faith. doesn't take a sermon to be a great man of faith. Even those fruits can deceive if somebody has left their first love and started to chase after other things, started to consider self. What were they thinking about? Self-preservation. They were thinking about their own flesh. They weren't thinking about how do we claim the promises of God. They weren't thinking about the bigger picture. God made a promise to them. They had seen Red Seas parted and yet now they're saying, I'm not sure, nevertheless. And don't we all do that? Oftentimes, wisdom. We say, oh, but we have to be wise. And I, I've said that myself, and there is a right time to say that. But saints of God, sometimes, sometimes a real walk of Christianity, real Christian walk is not wise. You look at Jesus as he walked to the cross, and you would say he made a very, a lot of very unwise moves. Pontius Pilate standing there talking to him says, do you not realize I have the power to set you free? And he says, you don't have any power except my Father in heaven give it to you. Think, oh, Jesus. You could have just said, you know, yep, what they're saying, they're liars. You could have said, all those Jews, they just want to kill me because they're offended that I didn't come to them first. And Pilate could have said, okay, no problem. And he would have signed the papers and released him there and then. You see, Christianity is not founded necessarily on the world's wisdom, but it's the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom starts. That's where understanding starts. And if, your, if the words from your mouth do not begin with, first and foremost, a fear of the Lord, then, then you're, you're, you're gone weird. You're gone squiff. You're gone wrong. These men, they walk in and their wisdom started. The things that they say, their wisdom started with fears of giants and fears of all cities and fears of their children. We're like grasshoppers before them. We're going to be prayed. These cowards blame their children and their wives because they were too afraid to enter in. A real man will pledge his family to the work of God knowing that they are safest in the promise and hands of God. We offer 
often sing that song, standing on the promises of God. We sing it all the time. And saints of God, men in this church, if you're not leading your families into all truth, and if you're leading them into mammon, then you're going wrong. You need to start leading them into all truth. That brother uh, Keith Green sang that song, I pledge my head to heaven. I pledge my son. I pledge my wife. I pledge my life to the gospel, to the heaven for the gospel. That's what he said. And saints of God, this family of mine, I love them dearly, but someday it may come that we will be imprisoned. We may be separated. And in that day, you know, if the, if the, if the, if the authorities of the day come and say, you're abusing your child by homeschooling, saints of God, that's going to take faith. That's going to take a lot of faith. And then how much wisdom am I going to have in that day? But a wisdom that's founded in the fear of the Lord. We must fear God. We must be careful to fear God. We must take pains daily to fear God. I heard of... Um, I heard of a, a big Christian singer on his website. I saw he had a list of articles, Mythbusters, he called them. Him and his wife generated them together. And one of them, the myth is that we have to fear God. That's what he said was a myth. That's a man who's influencing hundreds and thousands of people over the year. And he believes it's a myth to fear God. Oh, saints of God. How far have we strayed from what the Bible says? We must fear God. Every single bit of advice that you give to your brothers and sisters must first come with the fear of God. Must first be under subjection from the fear of God because if not, you're going to damage them and you're going to influence them in a way that they should never, ever have been influenced. We don't ever want to give worldly advice. We want to give advice from the B-I-B-L-E. And if you're afraid that you don't know how to do that, then maybe it's best that you don't give any advice and give pass it off to brother Keith there's nothing wrong with saying to a brother I'm not sure maybe you should speak to brother Keith that's a perfectly acceptable option you don't have to know all the answers sometimes I get asked things and I say I'm not sure brother sister you have to speak to brother Keith he might be able to give uh, a better understanding the Bible says in the counsel of many there is wisdom in the counsel of many godly people, there is wisdom. But saying to God, I thank God for it, Caleb, because in uh, ver chap uh, verse 30, if you go there with me in uh, Numbers, um, Numbers 13, 30, same portion. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. Amen. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that saw it uh, are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, and came... Uh, sorry, and come of the giants. And we were in our own sights as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sights. Saints of God, they did not mention God once in their discourse. All they said is, we're grasshoppers in their sights. Those people are of great stature. They say, look, Caleb, I appreciate your input, but we're not able to go up there. Do not listen to him. Are you going to listen to us 10? Are you going to listen to Joshua and Caleb? The sun got to their heads. They don't know what they're talking about. Look at them. They've always been like this. They just, are, they just want fire. They just want to go in. They don't care about your family. They don't care about your children. All all they care about is getting into this promised land. You know, there's a thing in mountain climbing that's called summit fever. And uh, 
And when you get to the summit, it's that people just have a desire to get to the top of the mountain, even if there's uh, hurricanes or even if there's uh, you know bad weather. It's, it, it kills mountain climbers all the time because they just get there and they just have this desire to get there. I'm sure that these 10 men accuse Caleb of saying, you've got summit fever, man. You need to just stand back because you're going to get all of us killed. You see, Caleb makes an attempt to convince them to trust God, but the other 10 spies resisted them. It makes me wonder, whose side are the 10 spies on? When you're giving advice, whose side are you on? Sometimes I'm talking to a brother or sister and you have to ask them the question, do you believe the Bible? I've done it, it's how, I'm not just talking out my ear. I've sat there with somebody claiming to be Christian uh, and having lengthy discussions and, and then you come to the end of the discussion, you're so frazzled you actually end up saying, do you actually believe what this Bible says? They say, oh yes, yes, of course, but what about this? Do you know what the Bible says? I believe it's in Titus or is it Timothy where it says, speak ye things which become sound doctrine. That doesn't mean to turn into, become is a modern day uh, form of that word, but to become or something's to be becoming of means that's suited to. So the Bible says, for all believers, speak ye things, things which become or which are fitting or which suit sound doctrine. Nobody should ever have a question as to what you believe by the words of your mouth. Nobody should ever, just because you want to tease out this, oh, what about that person? What about this heresy? Oh, those heretics say this, and they have a little bit of a point. And oh, the Catholics, well, they say that all these sorts of things. You know, there's people that, that it's, it's vain uh, babblings. That's all it is. It's foolish and unlearned questions because it's not founded in Scripture. Saints of God, all the words from our lips must be things which become sound doctrine. Do not try say that, oh, it's just my words, it just means nothing. Let me just tease this out for a while. We have to be very, very careful as to what we say, very, very careful as to the advice that we give, very, very careful as to the instructions that we give to other people. Or if we're saying that we're speaking on behalf of all of these things, saints of God, we must be so, so careful because if we don't do it, there's people going to be led astray. These Hebrews listened to the 10 spies and none of them from 20 years of age up entered into the promised land except Caleb and Joshua. Wow. And that's God's mercy. And you know what happened to Caleb and Joshua? They were old men when they got there. They were in their 80s when they got there. They, had, they were led around the wilderness. You think, that's not fair. Well, that's what happens. Do you know that in this church, Keith's going to lead this church in a direction that he wants to go in. But every single one of you has the ability to lead us around. 40 years, and then Keith, somebody who's labored, labored and labored to see revival in this city, may not get in. You think, oh, well, I don't want my sin, or I don't want my unbelief to affect the man of God, or I, I just want my unbelief to affect me. Do you realize that that's not how this works? You are a body. What comes into the body affects the whole body. A little leaveneth, leaven the whole, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So the things that you allow in through the eyes, through the ears, uh, the things that you allow, say that is a reflection of this body. Why? Because we are members. Every single born again person in this church, they are all members of the body of Christ. And what this church is in the body of Christ is what is, it forms part of that body of Christ globally around the world, Christ's bride here on earth. And so these 10 men, they're going to affect the Caleb. They're going to affect the Joshua. Nothing wrong with Caleb's heart. 
nothing wrong with Joshua's heart. The Bible says that their spirits were different and that's why he let them go into that promised land. They were of a different spirit. If you ever met someone in the church, you think, we're not of the same spirit. We say that we're, we're from, we look like we're from the same family. We have the same surname, but we're not of the same spirit. It can happen, saints of God. You better endeavor to make sure that your, Josh, your spirit is the Caleb spirit and the Joshua spirit. And their spirit is the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit that we all need to have. You know, Caleb, I'm looking into this word Caleb, and uh, his name means faithful, wholehearted. Um, in Hebrew, it's Kalev, uh, uh, Kalev, sorry. And it's very similar to the word in Hebrew, which is dog, which is Kelev. It's just an A and an E. And there's some dispute as to whether there's similarities, but I like this thought that Caleb means dog. Why? Because he's just meat for the master's use. You read what he says, and there's a simplicity to it. He's, he's almost shocked when these 10 spies come back and say, look, there's land, flow, milk and honey, but we can't enter in. He says, no, 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 hang on. We have to go up at once and possess it. That's like a pan dog who's so close to the brook and he's just ready to go in. Dogs are simple creatures. If you look at, yeah, you can get smart dogs that can open door handles and sit and heal and turn around and run and all those things, but ultimately they're simple creatures. You give them a command and if they're well trained, they will do it. We must be like dogs in the army of the Lord. The Bible says that a living dog is better than what? A dead lion. In these 12 spies going in, we had 10 dead, stinking, beautiful lions, but they were dead, and we had two living dogs. And those living dogs were panting, just looking for some milk, Brother Jer, just looking for a little bit of that sweet honey from the promised land, and yet they were denied it. Why? Because of brethren co-laborers. The Bible says that they went in together, all 12 of them. I bet you the walk in was totally different to the walk back out. It was all praise God, worship, stick on my favorite worship CD, let's go in, we're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna lay hold of the land. And then those 10 are cowering behind a rock, looking at the giants, thinking, I'm not sure we can go in, but don't tell Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua are thinking, this land is beautiful. They're not mentioning, they don't mention giants once. They're not talking about the giants. They're not talking about the reasons why they can't go in they're just saying we have to do it we can overcome them this is the Christian life the Bible says in Revelation read it all the churches in the last days to him that overcometh and then such and such and such and such there's so many different things but they're all reserved to the person that overcomes oh well I'm just a carnal Christian I've heard this before that there's actually two different see this is news to Brian he's laughing apparently Brian there's new two different types of Christians you've got spiritual Christians and carnal Christians well I think that what you have are sheep and goats because there's no such thing as a carnal Christian God works through us God deals with us if you are carnal then you are in the flesh and if God doesn't convict you of your carnality then you are a bastard and you are not a son that's what the Bible says he whom he chastens he loves if you are chastened of the Lord and convicted by what God has done in your life then it's likely that you're his son but if you are just living in your carnality and you say oh you've got such a great faith and oh I wish I could be like all those other brothers and sisters um, that I look upon but I'm just too carnal I just like having my drink and I like having my angel cards I like having my little idols they keep me comfort and I love uh, you know occasionally listen to world music and all of those sorts of things you know saints of God there's no such thing as a carnal Christian I've heard people out there and it's heresy to say that if they died drunk that they would go to heaven but they just lose their reward 
I was, as I'm studying for, to, you know, I'm studying to uh, preach and I'm reading through scriptures and I'm looking in, in Galatians and it speaks about all the works of the flesh. And it says that, you know, it talks about adultery, uh, revelings, all these sorts of things. And it says, uh, those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of, of heaven. And I just thought, how much more clearer could the Bible have been? Yeah, like, what more could God possibly have said on the matter to convince people that drunkards will not go to heaven? Adulterers will not go to heaven. Idolaters will not go to heaven. Blasphemers will not go to heaven. Oh, he's a Christian, but he just takes the Lord's name in vain occasionally. Blasphemers will not go to heaven. It's as simple as that, saints of God. The Bible has made it very, very clear. Why? Because we're simple people. We don't listen. We don't understand. Saints of God, we long to be like that dog in the Lord that just listens, that doesn't think, oh, you know, he's only asking me to go fetch that stick because he's too lazy to go get it. You know, Brother Rory's Lily never thinks that. You know, she doesn't get offended when he throws a ball. It's like, that's the fifth time. He's thrown it all the way over there. Now I have to go get that ball and bring it back. You know, dogs don't do that. Dogs, I'm not sure I've ever seen a dog offended, except Shiloh. I'm sure I've seen Shiloh offended, uh, but I'm not sure Shiloh's a dog. Um, we can cut that out of the video, all right? <laughs> but dogs, they just, they just serve. They just long to serve their masters. That's all they desire to do. Saints of God, I want to be a living dog I don't want to be a dead lion dead lions for a period of time are beautiful but eventually they start to stink they they, they they nice manes on the outside oh they could they even probably have across their sides king of the jungle you know they are just the, the cream of the crop and yet they're dead they're dead and I've met people you know they've got they've got all PhDs after them, doctors of divinity and masters of divinity, and they've got all the lovely uh, uh, sermons, and they, they have it all, head knowledge, and they understand it all, but they're dead. There's no faith. Amen. Saints of God, faith can at times be foolish. Faith, it, it can also take faith to be wise, okay? Being, being, being faithful also is being wise, but sometimes it just means, like a dog, you put the blinkers up and you say, we have to go in. We have no choice but to listen to God himself. The 10 spies had the right words. They had the right testimonies. They had all the right reasons as to why they should not obey God. Wait. Brother Soph, that's not what they said. They didn't say they don't want to obey God. They just said there's lions, or, uh, there's uh, giants in the land and walled cities. Well, ultimately it ends in them uh, disobeying God. Speaking to a man uh, during the week and he was saying to all the reasons as to why he was uh, you know, in sin and all those things. And I said, look, I understand your reasons. I, I completely understand all of the reasonings as to why you are in your sin and why you continuously go in sin and why you feel a victim to your sin. But the problem is God's going to judge you regardless, no matter what the reason. You say, oh, I only got mad and shouted at that person because they really got under my skin. God's not too interested. God cares about the result afterwards. And so these men, they're looking for reasons not to obey God. They won't say that. And if you look at these uh, leaders in the modern day church, they're not telling you that they're looking for reasons not to obey God. But if the ultimate end is them not obeying God, then I posit that their deceitful, misleading hearts has deceived them, either deceived them into not obeying God or they deep down know they don't want to obey God. I'm not sure. I don't know their hearts. But saying to God, we have to do that same thing to our own motives and our own thoughts and the reasons why we do things. We think, okay, am I, 
Am I making an attempt to obey God? What does the Bible say? What promise has God given me? You know, the Bible says that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. So do we believe that or not? Do we? Because if we believe that, then it doesn't matter all the other things. Jesus said it. That's what he said. That's a promise that God has given to you. And yet we can lie in our beds at night crying tears going, where is he? He's left me. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in, in periods of, of, of great duress, that can happen. But you must always come back to type. Like that compass, must understand. You get a compass, it'll always point towards north. If you shake a compass around, It'll wobble a little bit, but it'll always come back towards north. And sometimes, saints of God, we in our faith, we get shaken. We get shaken big time. We might entertain things we shouldn't. We might even start walking in ways where we should never have went. But the mark of a true sheep is, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. That's what Jesus says. And I've heard this of sheep farmers that they say, or shepherds, um, sheep will actually know their specific shepherd's voice. Like a dog, they come to understand their shepherd's voice. So when they call them, they know it's their shepherd and they will come. And so, okay, if you've gone down a goat path and you've gone down uh, a broader path, you've fallen into a ditch. And if you hear that voice of the master saying, you've messed up, come back to me. You've messed up, come back to me. And then you go and you walk and you end up back with him saying to God, you're a sheep. You listen to him. You hear his voice. You desire to follow after him. You want to do what his word says. I'm not saying that I stand here and every time I hear the voice of God that I act upon it instantly. But saints, when I don't, my heart smites me for it. I feel it deep within that conviction of sin, different to before I got saved. Never heard the voice of God then, except when I was being drawn to him. But it's different, that conviction of the Holy Ghost working in our lives. We want to be living dogs. We don't want to be dead lions. We want to be sheep. We don't want to be goats. We want to be sheep. We don't want to be pigs. We don't, you know, all of these, all of these different things. So the first enemy, the, the main enemy was themselves. But that came in the form of two different enemies. Because we had the first enemy, leadership. Mm -hmm. Poor leadership. And saints, you don't have an excuse for poor leadership. I'm not suggesting that because Keith is a good leader, although that is true, but Keith could, go, Keith could go off tomorrow. Keith could go off somewhere and be influenced. It has happened before, and it's not out of the realms of possibility that it could happen again. So how do you arm yourself against that, that you be biblically literate? You know, Sister Candace has passed away. There has to be a leadership in the ladies to stand up and say, it is my place to know the scripture. Bible says aged women are to teach the younger women if you're an, I'm not going to point out aged women, okay? I'm just going to look at my notes here. If you think you're aged, that's up to you, all right? But the aged women are to teach the younger women in all of the things of God. And the beauty of that word aged is that it could be very in different degrees. Someone who's 30 is aged in comparison to someone who's 20. Someone who's 60 is aged in comparison to someone who is 30. There is a maturity that is to be passed down. Nowadays, we see pastors, they start retiring at 60, 65, like it was a secular job. And yet those years are the years they have the most to give. The Bible says that the glory of a young man is his strength and the glory of the old man is what? His hoary head. And what does that mean? The hoary head is, uh, is, is his experience, his wisdom, the fact that they've seen things. There's things that older people have seen and experienced, maybe pitfalls that they have encountered that they can tell me about that I do not understand. We have learned a lot in our Christian lives from the mistakes that others have made and that we don't want to repeat them. The 
Bible is full of them. That's why the Bible chronicles all the mistakes that people of God have made so that we can look back and say, I don't want to be like that person. I want to be like this person. I don't want to do this because it'll mean I'll end up like them. You know, it's, there's an importance in that. And that's the beauty of the hoary head saints of God is that the hoary head has something to offer and to give back. And so there's bad leadership has now influenced the congregation, but those congregations didn't get off scot-free. God didn't just say, away with you, you 10 uh, you know, fleshly spies, off to hellfire with you, back to Egypt. No, everybody suffered the consequences. All, one in, all in. That's how it works. If we operate as a team, the people of God were going to operate as a team. They did not split and fracture to become the, the carnal ones and the spiritual ones, but they operated as a team before God. And so uh, turn with me to uh, Numbers chapter 14, please, and verse 1. And it says, All the congregation lifted up their voice. All the congregation. What does all mean? It means all of them. Lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land. To fall by the sword. That our wives and our children should be prey. They're accusing God of bringing them out so that God could kill their children. Like, we need to think about this. We cannot, this is what false accusation looks like. It is vicious. It's as bad as taking a knife to someone else's throat because you're just looking for the destruction of person. How damaging is it to be so loose with your words to say, you know what? God brought us out here so that my kids can die. What? An accusation to level at a God that has led you and you're in this situation because of your tears in Egypt saying, oh God, get us out of here. Oh God, we just need, we want to serve you. We want to worship you. Oh saints, have we not seen it before? So many people, oh, I'll do anything to follow the Lord. Oh, I want to serve him if it's in the wilderness or if it's not. And then you just get a little bit closer and they're just minutes away from they can see the promised land they're just about to get it and they just turn around and walk off and they say you know what this God he's vindictive this God all these people in this church they've just brainwashed me Uh, you know they're so close to the promised land all of these people and yet they turn around and walk back God is being mocked and scorned here because of him trying to help them so if that's ever happened to you remember it's happened to God first and just that last verse it says And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. If if you hadn't read read it, you wouldn't believe it. It's almost impossible to conceive that they would say, do you know what, Moses, Aaron, get rid of them. Let's make a captain to bring us back to Egypt. Do you know what this is? This is an evil heart of unbelief and discontented. I remember before I got married, Long before I'd ever uh, met Hannah, you know, I never, uh, not if I ever had this desire, oh, I'd love to be married. I cut that off at the impasse, never dwelt on it, never thought about it, never thought, oh, when I'm married, oh, I wish I had someone. Because you know what? That attitude that desires to be married is the same attitude that desires to be not married when you are married. You think that before you get married, oh, once I'm married, everything will be great. My life will be so much better and I'll have someone with me all the time and we can do things and all that sorts of stuff. But that same evil, unbelief, heart of discontent when married says, I just need a little bit of space. 
and just says that, oh, I wish I could go eat somewhere myself. <laughs> Was that too realistic? That's <laughs> no, not true. I'm not true. I never, I never desire space, honey, right? Okay. I just, we just, we have fantastic fellowship in the home all the time. Um, but saying to God, that's what it's like. That person who says, oh, I just wish I was married. You get married and then you say, oh, I wish I was alone. Oh, I wish I had time. Oh, I wish I had this. Wish I had that. It all comes from discontent. If you're not content with where you are in the Lord now, then what makes you think anything that God adds to it will make you content? And we understand there are natural things. You know, the Bible says that God looked at women in the Bible, gave them children, all these sorts of things. Yes, I'm not suggesting that certain things can't help to uh, fulfill those desires, natural desires that God has given us. But saying to God, we must run from discontentment because it's a, it's a grave, it's a rabbit hole, it's a pit because it's fruitless. You know, the Bible says... Godliness with contentment is great gain. And you know what the Apostle Paul says? If you have food and clothing, therewith be content. Yes. All of you have far more than food and clothing. Every one of you has more than Christ today. You have a pillow to lie your head down on. Uh, you have a bed that you can sleep in. You've got a family that loves you. You've got not just one set of clothes, but many sets of clothes. You've got running water. Many of you have en-suites. We have all of these creature comforts. We should be more than content. We should be waking up and praising him every single morning for the things that he has blessed us. And we should use those things for God's glory that we should then be a blessing to others. Because how can any of you say, oh, I worked for this? Because you did not. You know, God has bestowed upon you all of the things that he has bestowed upon you. Without any of those, th without God's work in your life, you'd be out there in the world and you'd have nothing. You'd be empty, you'd be destitute, and you'd be on your way to hell. And yet God has seen fit in his sovereignty to bless you. If you have food and clothing, there would be content. Oh, brother, brother Soph, did Paul not say food, clothing, and an iPhone? <laughs> did, did, brother, did, did he not say food, clothing, and a nice good car? No, he didn't. He said none of these things. Food, clothing, hot running water. Food, clothing, and my morning shower. Food, clothing, and a suit to preach in. No, yeah. food clothing therewith be content and then if you got food and clothing and then you've got godliness that's great gain that's the prosperity gospel saints don't tell keep i'm preaching the prosperity gospel here this morning i'm preaching the prosperity of the lord god almighty if you have godliness and you are content in your godliness you're richer than than joel Osteen. you're richer than rick warren you're richer than bill gates you're richer than all of these men of the world that have massive bank accounts because you're content bible says that that the person that loves silver will never be satisfied with it that's what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes and so these things are so important murmurings what does the word murmur mean to express one's discontent about something in a subdued manner okay it's cowardly that's what murmuring is because some people will directly come and they'll say it to your face and in a sense you respect them. The, the sinners in this city, I, I heard Brother Kai uh, preaching to his church back in Alabama one time after he was given a report after he'd gone back and he said one thing I was so amazed with was the, the honesty of the sinners. And I just said, that's Limerick City. That's the people <laughs> that are here in this city. The sinners will sit across from you and they'll tell you if, if they think you're talking rubbish or they'll tell you if they think what you're saying is true. They'll tell you why they're not coming to church because they don't want to be 
hypocrites, you know, they want to just get right. There, there's an honesty among the sinners. They don't murmur, but people in the church murmur. The Bible says, murmur, sorry, the English definition of murmuring is to express one's discontent about something in a subdued ma manner. And they actually believe that um, it's an onomatopoeic word, if you listen in your English class. An onomatopoeic word is a word that derives its sound from how the action sounds. So for example, bang, it's loud, it's a bang, crash, it's onomatopoeic. And so murmur, 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 murmur. Do you know, it's indecipherable. You can't really, what did you just say? Sorry, what? You know, everything was said in such touch tones and with squinty eyes that Moses knew what they were saying wasn't good, but he just couldn't quite decipher what it was. Why? Because it's a wicked, passive aggressive and cowardly act and it belong, does not belong in the church. So these 10 spies, they shamelessly uh, reveal their hearts of unbelief by saying, we cannot enter in, we cannot go there, there's giants in the land, and then how that then passed off down to the congregation was just this little quiet murmuring, oh, they don't know what they're talking about, see Caleb, he was out in the sun for too long, oh, look at Joshua, he's getting old now, he's just, he's got this, he's just got fever, he just wants to get in there, he just, he doesn't care about us, do you see, he gave out to your child there the last day, yeah, he hates children, he doesn't want any of them around him, all those sorts of things, murmurings, do you know, the good thing about someone murmuring is it can't be challenged that's the beauty of a murmur and I, I don't mean good I'm being I'm being sarcastic in a sense of, or ironic in the sense of it's not good a murmur cannot be challenged and that's why it's a murmur if you say something quietly in hushed tones to someone that that can't be brought into the light that can't be brought out in the open and if you're giving prophecies personal prophecies to each other little bits of paper and all that text messages that cannot be brought into the light then that's wrong the Bible says everything is brought into the light why because we're children of the light. We're not children of the darkness. The children of the darkness, they will go out and they go into darkness and they go into nighttime because they don't want their deeds reproved. Why are all the nightclubs in this city nightclubs? Why do people always spill out when it's dark? Because they don't want to be seen acting the fools. They don't want to, many of the things I did before I got saved, I wouldn't have wanted the cold light of day to, to you know, reveal what I was up to. But we're not like that. We're the children of the light. We're, we bring things out into the open. And if what you're doing, you don't want brought into the open, then can I suggest to you that perhaps what you're doing isn't, isn't right, isn't of the light. Perhaps what you're doing isn't good. Do you know, if we have failings, and I'm not suggesting that we, that we bring people's failings out into the open all the time, the Bible says it is a glory to cover over a transgression. The Bible says that uh, love uh, covers a multitude of sins. And so we're, we're not out here trying to air people's dirty laundry. I definitely would not want that for me. But if a godly uh, brother or sister comes to me with something, or perhaps even if my wife had a concern in my life and went to a godly brother or Keith uh, quietly, wasn't sitting at the tables telling anyone and if perhaps I didn't like that out of an idea of self-preservation um, I'd have to ask myself why not do I own my sin or do I not own my sin am I trying to cover it over do you know the Bible says that lot his name it means a covering and so where did he go down into Sodom he's just trying to cover over everything it says he was just he was walking with the Lord but he's trying to cover up that things if I've done something and it's not right I should be able to own it and say oh forgive me oh help me she goes if my wife goes and speaks to our pastor and discusses something with him I don't I don't take up stones at her say how could you do that that's you know I don't I absolutely do not do that I say do you know what 
I should be looking at myself. I'm the enemy, not her. And if you ever make other people the enemy, men and women of God who are trying to honestly and sincerely work out this word in their life and your life, don't pick up stones to throw them at them. Keep the stones down. Maybe use the stones in yourself. Fall on that rock and, and be broken. Fall on that rock and, and, and don't let it grind you to powder, saying to God, we want to fall on that rock. They said that, let us make captains and return to Egypt. Do you know that later on it says that after Joshua, uh, after Caleb and Joshua tried to tell them, uh, tell them not to go, what does it do? It says they bade stones. They literally took up stones and were trying to kill them because they were trying to just, just do God's will. Just do God's will, simply put. But hang on, Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron, they're probably sitting there talking to them saying, but, but you knew that this is what was involved. You, this was what you signed up for. No, 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 no. We didn't sign up for getting killed by giants. No, God never said you were going to get killed by giants. God did not bring you out into the wilderness so that you could then, so that your children could be prayed for them. You know, we often talk about how the church is going to be persecuted, but God doesn't take any delight in that. And you should not take any delight in that either. There is no delight in persecution. None whatsoever. I don't look forward to that day. I try to prepare for that day. I don't, I don't think on what would happen if the police came to try to take Hannah away, or Elias away. I don't, I don't think of that. I don't nor do I say what I'm going to do on that day because I just know I need to be faithful in the little things now and by God's grace if I am faithful in the little things if I'm able to share with a work colleague if I'm able to put my neck out and share with my family members and if I'm able to um, preach the word of God out on these streets and I'm able to get up and pray if I'm able to do the simple things right then by God's grace I'll be able to go through with whatever persecution comes at us in those days. But don't ever say, oh, when persecution comes, this is what I'm going to do. Unless you've walked through before in the past and you've shown, and I'm not saying don't ever, but you understand my heart in saying that I, I worry for someone who says, oh, bring it on. It's a worry, saints of God, because our hearts should be ones of moved and compassion. It's going to be a terrible day. It's going to be an awful day, and I do not long for those things. While we have freedom now, let's preach Christ with all the liberty that God has given us. Let's be faithful in the little things that someday we will be faithful in the big things let's give God the glory let's give God the praise so saints of God and I'm finishing with this Israel's biggest enemy it's not the Arabs it's not the Muslims it's not the lefties who so want the uh, terrorists to uh, win in all the different wars that they fight far from it their biggest enemy was themselves because what their flesh achieved and their unbelief achieved was far more, than, Pharaoh couldn't even stop them. Yes. Pharaoh sent all of his armies, they're standing at the Red Sea, they're looking at this sea, and God splits the sea, they walk through. How did they do it? By faith. They did it by faith. So Pharaoh couldn't even stop them, and now they're not able to go into a promised land without a shot being fired. Mm -hmm. If you don't see your own heart in this, then you should see your own heart in this. When we're operating in the flesh and we're choosing to be fearful of what's before us and not have faith about what's before us. Maybe persecution is something that scares you, but God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe if you are scared about what's going to happen when the Antichrist system brings in the mark of the beast, well, maybe what... Look to the Bible where it says that when you're before the magistrates, take no thought for what you're going to say. Yeah. Take no thought for it because God says, I will fill your mouth. But you know what? Before that day comes, you better fill your mouth with scripture so that God can fill your mouth. 
because you don't want to on that day be standing there not sure what the scriptures are. You don't want to think about how you squandered all the opportunities that God gave you in freedom. God has promised that he's going to do something and so God is going to do it in our lives. We have to choose faith over fear. We cannot fear those giants in the land. What the giants represent? They represent flesh. They represent the enemy. They represent the things that come against us. There's Philistines there and Hivites and, and all the different ites in there. But God, but God, but God. Saints, who do you want to be? That's the question I posed to you here today. Who do you want to be? The Bible says, for unto us, which is the Hebrews, was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. I'm bringing you the word. Are you going to mix it with faith here today? Maybe you're looking for the victory of a besetting sin in your life that you felt so condemned with and you desire, you have sincere desire for victory over that thing. Don't look at the thing. Look at God. Look at, look at him. Look at what he has done. Look at his redemption. Look at his blood. Look at the sacrifice on the cross. Maybe it's a family situation or maybe it's a, a getting up in the morning and praying. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's something that God has called you to. Don't look at the thing. Don't look at all the reasons why you can't do it because that's a pit. That's a grave. You're, that, that's a, that's a, and that's a bottomless pit. You fall into that. You're not getting out unless God gets you out of it. Saints, we have to mix the word with faith. What does that mean? It means to hear the word and to do the word. Yes. To hear the word and to do the word. Because I can't tell if you're mixing the word with faith or not unless there's fruit from it. Because there's going to be, what will happen? How would we have known if the Hebrews had mixed the word with faith? They'd be in drinking milk and eating honey. That, that, it's the same. And you might say, oh, that's overly simplistic. Oh, you have to understand people are people. You know, you have to understand that, oh, it's difficult. They've got young kids. They've got adult children. They've got, uh, you know, all, they've got their old grandmother and she's lactose intolerant. All of the reasons why we cannot uh, fulfill the promises of God are fine reasons. But saying to God, if it ultimately ends, with you not obeying God, then you need to forget about those reasons. You need to undo those reasons. Those reasons, are they've been spoken to by the flesh and by Adam, and they need to go to the cross. The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked uh, and deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. We covered it before. It means terminally ill. That word desperately means terminally. Um, it's incurable. The heart of man is incurable and deceitful above all things. So if you think about your heart, your lovely, precious heart, above all things, in Adam, it's deceitful. What does what deceitful mean? Misleading. Wow. It's misleading. So it's going to, it's, it's very convincing. It's got your heart, your desires are going to convince you, oh, you should do this. And it's going to, it, the heart's very good at making up very good arguments. Yeah. They, they, because it's got its father, the devil, who's, who's been formulating these arguments for 6,000 years. And he's just going straight to his playbook. And the devil's saying, say this to him. And then he's saying, oh, have you considered this? And now say this to him. And wait till he's not feeling very well. And then say this to him. That's what, the, that's what the heart does. How do you protect yourself with that? Your shield of faith. Amen. You hold up that shield of faith. Because the reason they didn't enter in wasn't giants. The Bible never says they entered not in because of giants. Yes. No, the Bible says they entered not in because of unbelief. Their evil heart of unbelief. So if you, if you were to ask the congregation, the congregation of Israel, why didn't you go in? And then you were to ask God, why didn't they go in? Two different answers. 
So which one's right? They would say, oh, there's giants in the land. We're grasshoppers in their side. There's no point going in because the cities are walled anyway. And so we would never be able to overcome them. You ask God, God says unbelief. You might say that's too simple, Pastor. It's not too simple. It is absolutely not too simple. God, the word of God is simple. The Bible says that, he does, uh, that we shouldn't be beguiled as Eve was beguiled away from the simplicity that is in Christ. You don't need a master's degree to understand these things. You don't even need to walk with the Lord 10 years to understand these things. You get born again. And in that moment and in that day, God has given you a measure of faith. Because if you didn't have a measure of faith, you wouldn't be born again. Do you want to be one of the 10 spies? And one of those who has fantastic testimonies with the fruit to go along with it, but really have an evil heart of unbelief? Or do you want to be part of the congregation who turn against the Lord and his servants at the first sign of resistance? Or do you want to be like Joshua, Caleb, and say, let's go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Let's stand and pray. Father, we worship you. We praise your holy name. Lord, we ask you, O oh Father, Lord, we, where we have had an evil heart of unbelief, Lord, take it from us, O oh God. Lord, we desire for that measure of faith for today, O oh God. Lord, we ask you, O oh Father, Lord, that we wouldn't look for the problems of tomorrow, Lord, because today has enough problems, O oh God. Lord, we pray, O oh Father, that you'd help us, O oh God, Lord, to believe, O oh God. Lord, maybe we say here today that I believe Help my unbelief, O oh Father, Lord God. Lord, I, I long, O oh Father, Lord, to be able to believe you, O oh God, in your fullness, O oh God. Lord, for the miraculous, O oh Father. Lord, to live holy and godly and justly in, in the end times, O oh Father. Lord, I pray, O oh God, that you would help us, O oh God, as a congregation, O oh God, not to murmur, not to complain, not to whinge about the situation, but to put that all aside and to go in, to put that all aside and to lay hold of the blessings that God has promised us, O oh God. Lord, your word says you never leave us nor forsake us, O oh God. Lord, and you said, O oh Father, Lord, that you'd be with us, O oh God. Lord, until the end days, O oh Father. Lord, we thank you, O oh Father. Lord, we long for your return like a dog awaiting its master's return. Lord, we look to that day, O oh Father. Lord, we desire, O oh Father, Lord, for you to come and for you to return, O oh God, with haste, O oh God. But until that day comes, Lord, give us faith. Lord, your word says, Lord, you, you wonder, Lord, that will you find the people with faith in that day where will that people with faith to say avenge me of my enemies and Lord we say that here today avenge us of the wicked one oh God Lord God we ask to be that faith filled people that faithful people that people full of faith oh father Lord God that will stand like a Caleb and say we can overcome Lord let that be on our lips not to walk in defeat not to walk in uh, in foolishness oh God Lord but to walk in a mighty faith of God before you Lord we ask you in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name.